Welcome to Season 2 of My Ministry Breakthrough, brought to you by Oxano. I'm your host, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about church leaders telling unfiltered stories of impact in the local church. We're here to celebrate and share those life-changing moments when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. You will create space, even physical space in your building, for the right conversations. Amazing things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, Maybe, you know, you're going to create a space where uh, you're going to bring in um, political leaders from from both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Let's just talk. Let's talk about what's going on in our country. You know, let's just hear from each other. Yeah. Or you're going to create space where you bring in police officers and let them talk about community policing and can we begin to see them as as helpers and not the enemy, you know, or, you know, those kind of things. Can we create a dialogue for people who are wrestling with this whole sexuality thing, this whole LGBT stuff to say, look, tell us what your perspective is. We'll tell you our perspective. Let's see where there's, you know, where there's uh, any kind Mm -hmm. of uh, conversational space to be had, you know. So uh, in, in the creation of that, and really encouraging leaders to say, be willing to invite people in. Yeah. Let them come in your space. It's not going to damage your church. It's not going to damage your theology. It's only going to make you more of the kingdom of God that you need to be. Leadership development and disciple-making both take time, but they also take space. So here's a question for everyone in church leadership today. Are we creating the space, physical, conversational, relational, and yes, redemptive space for transformation to happen? Are we making space for people in our personal lives that don't look like us, don't live like us, people who don't share our values, and maybe people who don't even believe like us? As pastor leaders, are we making space for people far from Christ and His church to engage in the conversations that matter, or are we simply keeping our services running smoothly and our Christian country clubs updated and clean. My guest today is Dr. John Roebuck of the Charlie Curb Center for Faith Leadership at Belmont University in Nashville. John has more than 30 years of pastoral leadership in the local church. He now equips students in ministry education programs for leadership in the 21st century. With a front row seat on this next generation of church leader, John's passion flows from actually engaging in moments of conversation. In those moments, moments of time and space, moments that matter, the transformational work of the gospel actually moves people. After all, didn't Jesus create space for those who needed him the most? So lean in and listen up to this episode of My Ministry Breakthrough with Dr. John Roebuck of Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. John, thanks for jumping in on the podcast. And thank you for the invite. Uh, yeah, love love to sit down. Give us a little of a snapshot about where you are. Actually, where are we sitting right now sure. in in, in yep. your role currently? We are sitting in the Malloy Studios in the basement of the Massey Building, Belmont University's campus. You know, Belmont uh, is a remarkable story in terms of university. Uh, has really grown exponentially, uh, both in undergrad and also uh, professional degree programs over the last few years. Uh, and the music industry is part of the growth of, of, of the university. Uh, the largest major on campus right. uh, is all music-related. We know. just walked down a hallway past gold records and platinum records and yeah. familiar faces. Uh, yeah, you've got, uh, you know, and things happen on campus all the time where Belmont's done a really good job in connecting not only to 
local stars, but also those who have Belmont connections. You know, you okay. got the Brad Paisleys and the Garth Brooks and the Amy Grants and, and those right. people who are on campus, Ricky Skaggs and others who are on campus just all the time. Just and, walking and, around or yeah, for well, special for events? Or? Special events yeah, and, yeah. and uh, our our music uh, industry faculty people have done such a good job courting those people through the years yeah. that uh, a lot of guest lecturers, you know, little concerts. Uh, last year there was a homecoming concert, special concert. They said, surprise guests, just come. Can't tell you who it is. It was Garth Brooks. Does a one-on-one concert for two hours, you know, unannounced. For the, students, on, for the and, students and faculty yeah. Belmont Belmont community yeah. here. So, you know, uh, that has driven the growth. Uh, the healthcare industry in Nashville is huge with HCA mm-hmm. and other those corporations. And uh, with our uh, nursing school and our physical therapy school and occupational health school, so all that has continued to explode as well. So um, we now have law school. We just announced an architecture school. Um, Belmont's just just exponential growth. Right. What's your role here at Belmont? My role is I'm I'm unique in that um, I have a brand new position that was created when I came uh, called the Charlie Curb Center for Faith Leadership. Uh, and our defined purpose is to help faith leaders across Middle Tennessee, whether that's a pastor, a staff member, uh, a CEO of a nonprofit. But we want them to think strategically about what it is to do ministry in the context of 2019. Uh, you know, for example, I finished my doctorate from Southern Seminary back in 1988. Well, that's 31 years ago. Yeah. You know, and I felt very prepared in 88 to take on the challenges of the world. But, you know, the world's changed a little bit. And yeah. so uh, part of what we're trying to do is to help ministerial leadership uh, figure out how do they stay relevant to culture? Yeah. How do they stay uh, uh, relational to the communities in which God has placed them? And then how do they do that and remain resolute to their DNA, to their calling. So relevant, <clears throat> relational, relational, and resolute. resolute. And that's that Baptist pastor. That's the three points in a poem. That's right. hang, hanging out there, that's even exactly, though you're that's exactly on right. campus teaching and developing this yep. center. Uh, that goes back to that. Tell me, why is that so important for you? And, and it strikes me, too, that we've got to even think beyond 2019. I know you Absolutely. said that figuratively, yep. but my, my guess is you're probably having to set your sights with these leaders on 2030. Well, the, the thing that that is really exciting about what I do is uh, because it's a new program, uh, there, there's an awful lot of flexibility with what I do. Okay. For example, if an issue comes up that I think, well, that's something that people are facing local churches, we ought to have a conversation about like that. Like what? Like what? Well, we do uh, about every six weeks. I call them conversations that matter. Okay. And what we do is we, we will invite uh, ministers uh, from the community We'll gather 25 around a table. Yeah. And the idea is that I really want people to be able to ping pong ideas back and forth, but to say, how are you solving this in your church? What are you seeing in your ministry that relates to this? And we have done 22 of those now. Okay. We've done uh, conversations about LGBTQ. We've done caustic politics. We've done racism. We've done immigration. We've done human trafficking. We've done so you're uh, keeping it gun light. violence. You're yep. keeping it light. Keeping is what it you're light. Saying. Easy topics. <laughs> fluffy, things, fluff, fluff, yeah. you know. Uh, That's powerful. I mean, those are the conversations yeah. that, that matter. I mean, to, they, to they really the are. And, and what we're hoping to do is just really to put uh, more and more tools in ministers' tool belts. Right? What are you What are you doing as a result of those conversations? Is there some way to access that, or you're recording those things? Are you kind of documenting, or is that you're writing books out of it? Yeah, you know, kind of all of the above. Uh, okay. One of the things that happens in those conversations. Um, is those are typically guided conversations, mm-hmm. and if it's something that I'm comfortable with, then I'll I'll guide that. Right, it's a right. two. It's always a two-hour breakfast conversation. 
real informal, uh, but if it's something that uh, that I need more help with, then we'll bring in uh, a specialist. We did a we did one a couple of weeks ago on on loneliness and this mm. continuing encroachment of loneliness on the American right, population. Right. So we brought in a pastoral therapist and counselor to come in and say, look, here's what I'm seeing in my practice, and here's the signs to look for, and here's how you begin to speak into some of those issues. Uh, and then sometimes we'll do a panel discussion. Uh, we uh, we did an interfaith dialogue, and uh, I had a Jewish rabbi, I had a Catholic priest, and I had a, a uh, Islamic uh, imam. Imam. So you yeah. know, it sounded like a joke every time you promote yeah, it. You yeah, know, a priest. Yeah. You know, rabbi. Were you yeah. guys meeting in a bar nearby? Yeah, in a campus bar. Here? That's right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so to have that ability, yeah. just to be able to yeah. sit down and say, let's let's just talk, because I'm a firm believer that if you will create physical space. Uh, then you allow conversations to begin to happen that are, that are meaningful and that are perspective altering and, uh, you know, kind of kick the can down the road a little bit, help people get, you know, the, the idea of my, of my whole program was we create better communities if we have better churches and we create better churches if we have better leaders. And so we're mm. working at that angle. We want to create better leaders, take people from, from good to great, take them, you know, where they need help. Let's, let's figure that out. So we do the, we do the conversations. We also do one day workshops which are more focused on, you know, uh, one specific topic. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we bring in people for those. Uh, we've done everything from social media to communication skills, preaching skills, to um, uh, we did a thing uh, on, on financial planning for ministers and churches, you know, and how do you access uh, more capital. Uh, we, we brought in a guy who is whose company here in Nashville are now they're going into churches and renovating space where it's nice office space mm-hmm. and they're leasing the property Monday through Friday yeah. and then turn it back over to the church on Sundays. And it's a revenue stream for the churches to help them with their ministries. And so, so we're doing those kinds of things. It's just sort of like, uh, we really we want to be innovative and, yeah. and what are, what can we offer? What can we bring to the table? That's more than just, you know, uh, a gospel of Luke, you know, study or, yeah. you know, something like that. It um, sounds, it sounds like the conversation again, that needs to be had. Yep. How do people get access to that? I mean, how does someone who's listening in, you know, Southern California right now, yep. or, you know, yep. central Michigan, like, man, I want to be a part of something like that. Is that just watch the calendar and show up? Is there, is there a way they can listen or, or read? Yeah. You know, um, we are, we are continuing to try to think through how do we go from a regional reach to yeah. more of a national yeah. reach. And yeah. so, um, one of the things that we do, uh, and all of it's driven by our website, trying to get people yeah. to go to that. And here's here's what we're offering. Here's when we're doing it. Yeah. And to be honest, um, a friend of mine told me uh, I was real frustrated the first three months because I thought, man, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And the guy said to me, "Look, you're trying to figure out in three months what it's going to take you at least three years to figure out." Right. And, and so we've kind of done that. I, I know what we do well and what we don't do well, and in trying to promote that and get that out there. Um. Uh, one of the things that has been a help is for some of our workshops to bring in people out of the region mm-hmm. so that when they go back there, you know, people recognize, Oh, you know, Kevin Cosby from Louisville was here for a thing on yeah. race this week. Yeah. Oh, I know Kevin, I know his ministry. Yeah. It connects us to that broader audience. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it, uh, is just, you know, driven by, you know, engagement on social media. Um, and then trying to put more of the events that we have done on campus, we want to make those portable. Okay. Uh, to say, look, you know, maybe you can't come to Nashville for a conversation about gun violence and protecting your congregation, uh, but I can glean the information we had from that conversation. I can come to your church and I can talk to, okay. to your leadership about that. So we're starting to try to do more and more of that, get things out on the road a little bit more with that. 
what's the passion that drives that? What's underneath? I hear this leadership heartbeat. Right. We're in the leadership school, right. you know, church leadership and right. innovate. I mean, you know, we're kind of at this leadership. What, what, give us maybe a defining day for you or some historical thing for you that, that, that provides this energy. Let me, let me go back to when I was pastoring. Uh, I left the pastorate about three years ago to take on this role. And I was pastoring a, a, a large church here in Nashville. And I remember the day when a woman came to the front during the invitation. And she just unloaded, just spilled mm-hmm. her heart. Uh, she was recently divorced. Uh, she had lost her job. She was pregnant. She had two young children. Uh, her car had broken down. Just, you know, one of those just situations where everything's right, right. gone wrong. And she's talking to me at the invitation time. I'm in front of God and everybody trying yeah. to solve the day. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so when the invitation was over, I said to the church, I said, look, I said, we have a lady who's come forward today. And she has some some really difficult situations in her life, more than I can handle right here in this moment. Mm-hmm. But I know some of you can help her. So when the when the prayer's done, I want some of you to come and, and surround her. So I went out to shake hands with everybody like you do. And I walked back in maybe 15 minutes later. And there were 12 people surrounding her, some of them giving them business cards, some of them writing down cell phone numbers to say, we can help you. And when I saw that, I thought, um, that's the day the church got it right. Hmm. And to me, the only way that happens is if over time you create the culture for that to happen, where you begin to help people see it's not about what I want in church. It's about what they need, the people on the outside. You're saying need. from the pastor's perspective, the it's pastor's, not about what I want. That's right. It's what, okay. what, what does the world around me need and how can I begin to instill into my people this heart for ministry that says ministry is messy, it's inconvenient, it's expensive, it, it's it's all of that, but it's the right thing to do. Um, and so, so part of my passion for leadership is to be able to help people see what they need to have. I mean, is it a tool they don't have? Is it a, a course they, they, they need to take? Is it a perspective they need to glean? What, what do we do to help them to be equipped to lead their churches in a, in a more effective way? And so I guess the implication with that is that it's not happening or that there's it, the church is not getting it right on some levels or that it is more about kind of what makes this, what helps the staff get from week to week yeah. than the people. I mean, here's what I have seen, especially okay. in the three years I've been in this role, that we still tend to stay very siloed in our situations, uh, even siloed within our denominations, but even more so even in our own churches, you know, um, where uh, Baptists tend to hang out with Baptists, Methodists with Methodists, Presbyterians with Presbyterians. And so we really don't necessarily have an appreciation for what good work other denominations are doing. Right. And even within our denominations, we get very caught up in the day-to-day, here's what my church has got to do, and we've got to reach yeah. budget, We and, and we'll start this ministry or we want. And so for me, part of this um, this program is to expose leadership to other leaders you know, let there be a, a kind of a, a cross-cultural, denominational uh, pollination. What can we learn? Hey, you know, the Methodists are doing something really good. You ought to look at that, you know, just to yeah. begin to connect those dots across the community. Uh, I have found out that in most urban areas like ours, that nobody really is connecting the dots across the denominational lines. And by the kind of programming we offer, where we just throw it out and say, hey, anybody can come, you know, it's open, just come, you know. Uh, and I maintain a list of about 200 or so uh, leaders in Middle Tennessee that, that get email from me every week. Right, you know? right. And uh, 
Uh, and so that's been a good benefit from it that I didn't see coming ahead of time, but it's been it's been very rewarding. We're, we're, for those that don't know, Belmont is a stone's throw from downtown Nashville. Yep. Really, it, it, it it's a suburban-urban setting, I guess is a good way to put it. There's a lot of homes around here, nice homes. Right. But then we're also, you know, right across the street from some poverty and urban. Yep. Se- I mean, it's just kind of Nashville's a blend like that. You didn't. You said you didn't see that coming. This this part of that, or what? What? What did that realization feel like when that started to take place? When you sort of realized the opportunity there. You know, um, <clears throat> I began to see uh, a lot of the same people coming to all the events. Okay. You know? And when I began to kind of pick at that a little bit and say, "Why do you always come?" You know, because you know every topic you throw out is not going to scratch their itch. Yeah. Yeah. And they started saying. We're coming for the sense of community that this is building in us. Hmm. We're beginning to see that the work in Nashville is greater than what our church or our denomination can tackle. And to know there are other people who are working collaboratively to do that has been a very rewarding thing for those for those people who are coming. They begin to see that. Do you think there's an opportunity for a pastor listening, whether they feel like they're in an urban area yep. or a suburban area or you know even a rural area? To create that community, I mean, yeah. it seems like there's a there's something there. Not that you have to scale it, and I really appreciate the fact that you're not trying to do too much too quickly. And, right. and I think we see that in churches, right? They they have yep. kind of this this grandiose expectation, overestimate how yep. much they can do in a short term. Do you think there's an opportunity at the local church level or in local communities? Is there something replicatable here that? Absolutely. Someone listening, what, what is that? Or could you sketch that? Yeah, let know. me sketch it out for you yeah. in a couple of ways. One way is <clears throat> to think in terms of the local church level, what does it look like for me to be a good neighbor to my community? Mm. What does it look like for me to be relational to my community, right? Um, we asked that question where we were at Woodmont, just down the street. Uh, and so I went, to the, uh, I went to the big local public high school, just a couple of blocks from us. And I said, what would it look like to be a good neighbor? And in my mind- That I'll, simple question is what right. you went in there with. In my mind, I thought they would say, we need after-school tutors. We need some people to do some mentoring. We need you to come paint our concession stand before the season starts. You yeah, know. yeah. Principal looked at me, and the first thing he said was, we have hungry kids. I need you to help me feed them. Hmm. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, about 65% of our students are on government subsidy. They eat breakfast with us. They eat lunch with us. But they don't eat again till the next morning. And he said, and that's okay. But he said, what happens on the weekend? They don't have any food at home. And he hmm. said they get this cognitive deficit over the weekend, and they come back, and they're, they're hungry, and they're not able to concentrate, and they just get further and further behind academically. He said, we need to feed those kids over the weekend. He said, that would be a good neighbor. I said, okay. So we went back, and we created a program where we began to collect non-perishable and, and canned items that could be prepared with or without power, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kind of peeling open cans, you know, ravioli, stuff like that. And so we started preparing 40 bags every Thursday, and we'd take them to the high school. Guidance counselor would give them to the families that need them. Been doing that for three or four years now, just through that awareness of yeah. knowing who what, what the real needs were, not going out in the community thinking, let me tell you what the needs are, yeah. but you tell me what the needs yeah. are. So I think within the context of local church, uh, it, it's this creation of space. And let me talk about that yeah, for a minute. You, you said that phrase a couple times. Unpack yeah. that creation of space. What do yeah, you mean? So there? We're going to take a quick break before we hear this breakthrough moment because I want to talk about Christmas. See, it's never too early to plan for an incredibly generous and hospitable holiday season. 
Most of us will have some sort of Christmas or Christmas Eve service, and the offering and the welcome are usually the least planned moments. We spend hours on service programming around sermons and worship and dramas and skits or videos or illustrations. But what if the most critical moments in disciple-making are actually the least planned? You'll have a lot of guests, so how will you welcome and engage people to grow as disciples at your church? Christmas is a celebration of God's generosity in giving His Son. How will you inspire a congregation of generous disciples? On December 5th, I'm teaming up with Kent Vincent, one of the generosity specialists on the Oxano team, and we are hosting a free webinar focused on planning for your most generous and welcoming Christmas services ever. We're going to give you some practical ideas that can be executed for your Christmas Eve services this year. You don't want to miss this webinar. More information is online at oxano.com. Just select webinars underneath the content tab. You can also click the link in the show notes to register. So get a jump on the most overlooked part of your Christmas services by joining Kent Vincent and me on December 5th at 12 noon Eastern time for this free webinar. Again, you can reserve your spot at oxano.com under content, or you can click the link under the resources section of the show notes of the podcast. Now back to my ministry breakthrough. So I actually have just written a book, uh, and, I, and it's called Creating Space. And I think that... That's why you said the phrase a couple that's times. That's right, yeah. Just promotion, promotion, <laughs> it's promotion. on top right? of mind right now, that's right? That's right. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, get it. But anyway, um, no, the idea is that um, if we're called in the likeness of God, one of the things that God had the ability to do was to create space, right? And he mm-hmm. separated the land from the, from the water, and he created this, this world, and he put things in order. But he gives us in his image the ability to create space. And by that, I mean we have space in our lives for other people. Right. If we are intentional about doing that. I mean, let's say, for example, you and I are, are having lunch together. And all of a sudden, a friend walks in, and he seems to be by himself, but we both know him. Right. We say, hey, come over here, and we invite him into our physical space. Well, just by the fact that we've opened physical space, we begin to enter into what I call conversational space. How's it going? What's going on with your right. life? How you been? And if you have enough conversations, you begin to develop relational space where you really start to relate at a little different level. You know, you get a little deeper. Relationship grows, grows a little more secure. And then if you hang out in that space long enough, you begin to have what I call redemptive space. And that's where I begin to heal your hurt. And I begin to hear about your wounds and I begin to speak into that. And so the, the book traces that, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the physical space to conversation to relational, to redemptive space, and then to reflective space where you say, all right, what is God telling me to do in this moment? Hmm. Can I reflect on that? Um, And so what I am trying to help faith leaders understand is if you will create space, even physical space in your building for the right conversations, amazing things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, Maybe, you know, you're going to create a space where uh, you're going to bring in – political leaders from from both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Let's just talk. Let's talk about what's going on in our country. You know, let's just hear from each other. Yeah. Or you're going to create space where you bring in police officers and let them talk about community policing. And, and can we begin to see them as as helpers and not the enemy, you know, or, you know, those kind of things. Can we create a dialogue for people who are wrestling with the, this whole sexuality thing, this whole LGBT stuff to say, look, 
tell us what your perspective is. We'll tell you our perspective. Yeah. Let's see where there's, you know, where there's uh, any kind mm. of uh, conversational space to be had, you know. So um, in, in the creation of that and really encouraging leaders to say, be willing to invite people in. Yeah. Let them come into your space. It's not going to damage your church. It's not going to damage your theology. It's only going to make you more of the kingdom of God that you need to be. That is, that's it. It feels like that's what, when I hear you say that and I look across the landscape and, you know, doing the work that I do with Oxano, I get to see different tribes of churches, different situations, different, you know, there is not enough space Mm -hmm. for us to know. And and, and it strikes me that creation moment too, the even... When you when you trace it back to the to the yep. God's original creation, it it goes back to words. Like yep. God created with His word, word, His voice, right? And every one of those moments you just articulated was an invitation. Yep, language, being able to talk well, and, and communicate. And think about it. What we don't have in our in our culture is we don't have the safe, rational, civil dialogue space, right? Mm-hmm. Because people are going to social media and they well, just, Twitter's that. Yeah. Twitter's safe, rational, and yeah, yeah safe. there's never never anything caustic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people just yeah, yeah. they just bombard yeah, people on, right. on social media, just right? Blast them, or, or you go to talk radio, yeah, and yeah. you only listen to stations you agree with, right? And right. you just continue to yeah. criticize people on the other side of, of a conversation. I kind of like Morning Joe, though. <laughs> I got to right. be honest, that's yeah. one of my yeah. favorite morning shows. Well, see, I'm I'm an NPR guy. Of yeah. course, I'm yeah. old, right? And so, but on my morning commute, I listen to NPR because I just want. I just want the facts. Just tell me what's going on. I'm not on. awake enough in the morning yeah. for NPR. Yeah. But you want the facts. You're like, just. Yeah, NPR in the morning, Paul Feinbaum yeah. in the afternoon. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's my right. world, right? But um, <clears throat> where, were, where were we going with that? We're talking about words. Oh, talking yeah. about the so, language. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, where do people go to have those safe conversations? You know, uh, it ought to be the church. Hmm. It could be the church. But so often, um, we, we don't give people just the the freedom to have a conversation without condemnation. Why, why is that? Why, why did, why is the church not a place that those most important of conversations can take place? Cause we've been so judgmental. Um, we have been so convinced that, that our perspective and beliefs are the, are the belief to have. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the, the folks who are doing the work like Josh Packard and others who are doing work in the, the, the duns, the people who are done with their faith, but not with, I mean, mm-hmm. they're done with the church, but not with their faith. You know, we've lost 40 million Americans in the last 25 years have left the church. And they say they're leaving the church because uh, they get judgment. Uh, they get condemnation, not conversation. Uh, you get people who just uh, are struggling and they want to know, give me give me a perspective. Tell me, let's, can we just talk about it? Yeah. And, and we're, I think we're too busy preaching at people to listen to what they have to say in return. So if I can convince some people to create some space and just yeah. see where it takes you. You know, build a relationship, get to know that neighbor, get yeah. to know that guy down the street that, you know, you, you think he's just a mean old man and don't want you in his yard, but maybe, maybe he's dying with cancer and he's afraid. And you don't know that because you haven't, you haven't talked to him, you hadn't created a space for that to happen. I think you and I both know plenty of pastors who might agree in principle with that, Yep. but they also have to answer yep. to people in their congregation that would rather not that take place. It would rather everything be very black right. and white yep. and right and wrong. And, and, and not, that's not a, that's not an assessment of the word of God, yep. but it is, it is through the lens of culture. How do we, how do we bridge 
some of those things. What would you say to that pastor right now who may, there may be some resonance in this creating space, but also knows, man, there's going to be some folks in my congregation that will not like this. Well, you know, part of what we establish over time is trust with our congregations, right? Right. And and probably most pastors have to earn enough coins so they can spend them in that kind of moment, right? But I think, uh, you know, some of these conversations have to be so carefully nuanced. I I led a conversation about a year ago on um, LGBTQ, and I had— gone in with the idea that I was going to interchangeably use gay and lesbian words with same-sex attraction words. I got about 30 seconds into that conversation, hands went up all over the room, angry, because, you know, you can't say this or you can't, you know, and you're like, holy crap, you know, there's some there's some real emotional attachment to these conversations. Yeah. So, so to be able to have a, a conversation, part of it says, I've got to be a trusted leader. I've got to establish the right ground rules and say, um, this is going to be a sane, rational, civil dialogue. And, and if you can't be in that space, then, then you can't really be in this conversation because it's got to be done the right way. Um, I think part of it also is to enter that space may mean you start off with a small group mm. rather than a church-wide thing. I mean, it's one thing to say, our Sunday school class next week is going to be talking about whether or not we should carry guns in church. We're going to have, we'll talk about gun carry permits and stuff, right? Have that conversation there. Don't get up Sunday morning and say, today as I preach, we're going to talk about, you know, yeah. because you're going to just, you're going to, you're going to explode the political yeah. um, dynamite, right? Dynamite all, yeah. over, the, all yeah. over the building, right? Yeah. So I think, I think, it, I think part of it is the, is the willingness to have the courage and, and to be able to say as a leader, these conversations are important and they're not going to happen unless we are intentional about them happening. Uh, and, and so, so create those moments of intentionality. Yeah. Um, some of our churches aren't there though. And, and you and I, even in earlier conversations, John, yep. we're talking about the reality of where a lot of our leaders sit today, yep. you know, um, the leadership capacities. That's why, what I appreciate a lot about what you're doing here is trying to create some leadership headroom. I just believe a lot of our pastors don't have a vision beyond the seat they're sitting in right now, yeah. beyond this next Sunday, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, we, we do get caught up in the, in the day-to-day, the grind of feeding the machine. Um, you know, I used to think about my work as a pastor. I felt like I was the guy, maybe from Greek mythology or somewhere, that had this huge boulder, and you spend the whole week pushing it up the hill, and you finally get it to the top, Yeah, and you, and you have strained and toiled for six days, and then Sunday morning— you get to push it, you know, you get to push the ball. And that's that 25 minute sermon yeah. where you're just, that's the icing on the cake of ministry and the ball rolls down and God's in his heaven and everything's great. And then Monday morning comes and you start pushing the ball again. You answer and so, email <coughs> and you realize the boulders at the bottom yeah, of the hill, right? Like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, and so how, how do you, you know, how do you carve out space even in your own ministry mm-hmm. to say, and I think part of it is, I think we have to develop relationships outside of our comfort zone. You know, do you have friends who are Islamic? Do you have friends that are African-American? Yeah. Do you have friends that are gay? Yeah. You know, and if not, you need to develop a friendship with those persons. Why is that important? I mean, like, why Why could a pastor not go, man, I appreciate you saying that, but. Psh, perspective. Yeah. It's all about perspective, right? Um, 
if I believe that all people are created in the image of God, even if I don't, I think that's the problem. That's right? the problem. Right? I don't. I don't really think at, the, at our heart we believe that, do we? All the time. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, and and if, but if that is my heartbeat, that everybody's created in the image of God, then I want to begin to understand. Then how do we get so far into different places if we have the same Father? Hmm. And then, and then, how do we learn to love each other if we have the same father? You know, how do we how do we become that that older brother and prodigal son instead of standing outside and just being angry and letting all the joy get robbed of our life? Why don't we go to the party and say, "What was it like in the foreign territory, and, mm. and what was good and what was bad about that? How do I learn? You know, I'm, I'm not going to learn if I surround myself with only people who look like me, who think like me, and who believe like me." What growth is going to come from that? Right. What perspective is going to change? We had this last weekend here on campus. I had Dr. Kevin Cosby, who is pastor of St. Stephen's Church in Louisville, largest African-American church uh, in the city, I mean, in the state. Um, He also is the president of Simmons College of Kentucky, a historically black congregation, uh, college university. I had him come to speak on race. And and, uh, it was just profound. I mean, even even in the context of 2019, so many things that even as a leader, I don't understand about race and why things are like they are. And the uh, the the systems that are still in place that deny access and everything from economic access to education. I mean, just it's out there. Right. Yeah. And until I'm willing to say, hey, would you come into my space and teach me? You know, how, how else am I going to gain that perspective? I feel like there still might be people who would say, yeah, but how do you bring the gospel back into that, right? They're like, does the gospel still matter in those moments? Or is the gospel second? I mean, like, I think I, I I know I get where you're at, but you know, just to be clear for everyone who's listening, where does the gospel make a difference in those conversations? You are 100,000% right in raising that issue because I do think, the number one problem with uh, with 21st century American Christianity is that lack of evangelistic zeal. Hmm. At the end of the day, we are still called first and foremost to make disciples. Now, because we are believers, there are a lot of good works that we should be producing, and we do. We, we have to care about the poor and the homeless and the, those who are hungry and those who are destitute and those who are being victimized in all kinds of ways. And if the church is not leaning into those conversations, I'm not sure who is. Yeah. Hmm. But at the same time, we do that because we believe that the world lies and we have the truth. And we've got to somehow say, and here's where here's where that truth begins to enter into that picture. Um, but if we don't understand the lies, that's wrong. we can't speak the truth. Yep. And I think what I hear you saying is, is we have, a, even just going into the school principle in all those situations, we have a tendency in the body of Christ to lead with the truth we know mm-hmm. versus understanding the lies they yep. know and then bringing that truth to that. Is that? Yeah. I mean, to me, there there are two conversations that we have to have with people. Yeah. Um, the call to become a Christian is a call to transformation. Christ longs to take us from where we once were to the person he wants us to become, right? And, and that transition can be different from for a lot of different people. The problem is that so often the vibe we give out as as churches is once you change, you come see us. Yeah. And we'll tell you yeah. about the love of Christ yeah. then. 
So there's that transformation conversation that says, I want to help you move from where you are to where I think God wants you to be. Yeah. But there's also a conversation that says, um, because I have been loved, I love you as you are, and I want to help you. Yeah. What happens is so often we get the transformative conversation first, and then we're never going to have the conversation about love. Mm. But if we talk love first and say, look, let's just sit down. You know, you're loved, you're valued. Yeah. But now let me tell you about the one who has loved me and mm. valued me in such a way that it's changed my life completely. And I think he can change your life in amazing ways. Now, I think for some people, that that transformative <clears throat> process may take a lifetime. You know, I'm not going to be fully transformed. You're not going to be transformed until Christ comes, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but I hope I'm working on that. I hope yeah. I'm being transformed. You know, that was the old thing we learned in seminary. You know, I am saved and I'm being saved, right? And I will be saved. So I'm being transformed, and I want to call others in that transform that transformative process. But if I if I approach it with a you know condescending, um, you're really messed up, then then they're they're not going to hear me. Hmm. What in, at the end of this season yep. of leadership here at Belmont? What what do you hope is the is the phrase that sums that up for you? Um, two things. I hope that I'm able to say that I help people learn how to give space for conversations to happen that were meaningful. And then I hope to be able to say that I gave hope to leaders in, in the midst of their struggles hmm. to say there are, uh, there are huge overwhelming crisis out there. Uh, but there are other people who are fighting that crisis with you and we can learn from each other. We can help us. We, we can grow from each other's experience. I love that. And I think that's important today to yep. where we are today in this. Uh, I know you got students that are probably waiting on you in class and they're going to leave if you're not there in like five or 10 minutes, right? I mean, that's... That would be I, their best day. I don't they remember that. I don't remember that. how long they have to give you. You have your doctorate, right? So right. they have to give you at least 15 minutes, right? Well, I tell you what I tell my <laughs> students. I say, look, I'm, I'm coming either way. Even if I'm 30 minutes late, I'm still coming. And you can, you can leave if you want to, but... You're going to be responsible for what I talk about. You're going to be responsible for this material. Hey, I asked three questions of every guest. Kind of okay. land the plane here. What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? Spiritual disciplines have to matter. Yeah. Uh, we have to pray daily. Yeah. We have to be in God's Word daily. And, and uh, that doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or you're a an 80-year-old pastor. What's that you, look like for you? For me... Uh, it is, uh, I do it in several ways. Um, I actually journal. Uh, I, I get up and I have a prayer list, and that prayer list is is set, uh, and it's different from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday. Every day has a different set of people for whom I want to pray. Yeah. Because I was finding that I had a prayer list that had 200 names on it, and yeah. I couldn't yeah. effectively pray for 200 people every morning. So I broke that up. So I can say to everybody in the course of a week, I'm praying for you. Right. But maybe not every day. So that, yeah. that has been a help for me. But the other thing I do, I do the old-fashioned, what I call soap study, mm -hmm. where I will read a, a chapter a morning and then ask God to reveal one of those verses, let it pop out of the page, and then I begin to reflect on that. What is what is being said, and how do I apply that to my life? Yeah. Uh, and um, so that discipline of being in the Word and, and and actually writing something every day allows the thought. If you know, if I if I express it on paper, I have to think it through. I have to organize the thought, and it tends to stay with me a little bit, a little bit longer. You're around young people yep. who are in their educated uh, season right now. They're about to step into yep. that first ministry role. Some of them. Yep. If you could go back to that first year of ministry, 
and tell yourself one thing, and maybe it's something you're telling your students yep. right now, yep. what would you tell them or what would you tell yourself? I would say um, put people first. Mm-hmm. So for the, for the millennials and the younger generations, like put on your phone yeah. more, pick up people more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also would say, but see the the, the joy in the grind. I, yeah. I think we sort of grow yeah. up with this idea that one day I will be doing God's will. And, and I try to tell students, you will never get to that high plateau of doing God's will unless you're doing God's will for your life today. And today God's will may be that you've got to study for this test because God is educating you in this season of your life. So look for God's will along the way, not just in the here, you know, in, in the hereafter somewhere. But to, but to claim the joy in that. You know, school's hard, it's tough, but what a joyful opportunity to know I am pursuing God today, even in this difficult moment. Hmm. Is there one book, last question, one yep. book you consistently recommend or give as a gift, other than Creating Space by Dr. Yeah. John Roebuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Creating Space, brand new, just out this week, right? Short, short, simple, but important book. Anyway, uh, Gregory Boyle. I don't okay. know if you know that name, Gregory Boyle. is a Jesuit priest out in Los Angeles who started Homeboy Ministries, Industries, rather, deals with gangs. Has okay. been doing that for years and yeah. years. He's got a book called Tattoos on the Heart. Tattoos on the Heart by Gregory Boyle. It needs to be read by every believer out there. Why? Because it is such a important uh, practical application of, of theology where uh, where the real world hits the grace of God and how this this guy has been able to change his world through through living out the gospel daily. I love it. Hey, if people wanted to find the Curb Center, find your work, where do they go? Yep. Belmont.edu slash faith leadership. Simple. Faith leadership. Faith yeah. leadership. Yeah. Dr. Roebuck, thank you for a little bit of time on my Ministry Breakthrough Podcast. Looking forward yeah. to continuing the conversation again. I appreciate the opportunity and it's an honor for me to share with you today, Doc. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to MyMinistryBreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.